Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Harry Chu, CEO and co-founder of BreezeML, an AI governance platform that's raised $4.6 million in funding. Harry, thanks for chatting with me today. Hi, Brett. Hi, everyone. We're super excited to have you here. Harry, to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Sure, of course. I am a professor of computer science at UCLA, and then uh, I've been working uh, on education's research for more than a decade, right? So I've been uh, working in UCLA. Before that, I was a professor at uh, UC Irvine. So basically, we've been spending a lot of time building systems, computer systems, particularly machine learning systems. So that was one of the reasons why we started the company to focus on building systems related to machine learning. What's it like being a professor at UCLA? What's something that maybe someone listening in wouldn't expect, or what's the misconception about being a professor? Ah, well, that's a very interesting question. I think. Uh, life was very interesting because I got to meet and uh, work with a bunch of young people every day, you know, because people uh, like students graduate and you, you always get the new people come in. And those are always young people guaranteed. So <laughs> I think a nice thing about being a professor is that you always get the chance to work with the youngest uh, generation in the community. And then you have the opportunity to nurture them and turn them into experienced and seasoned researchers and, and developers, which is actually something that I enjoyed quite a lot. The other thing is that I think uh, a lot of people think that uh, academics are very easy life because you don't have to produce any like product. You don't have to. Uh, there's no sort of monetary aspect to your life because we don't we don't really talk too much about money. So that is actually wrong because the life is can be quite challenging because we have a lot of projects. We kind of work as a startup, right? Because you know you have a bunch of students you have to feed. We also have to talk to national funding agencies like. Uh, National Science Foundation or like uh, Office of the Naval Research to secure funds before you can actually feed the students. So the life is quite challenging and it's very similar to how you run a startup. I guess that's uh, really the misconception of being an academic. Now, when you started down this career path, in the back of your head, did you always have this idea that someday I'm going to start a company or, or what was the source of the entrepreneurship and the idea to go out and build a company? Where'd that right. So, so my co-founder, Ravi Natravali, who is a professor of computer science at the Princeton University. So basically, we started the company together. We are both, I would call, sort of atypical academics who care a lot about impact, right? Producing impact than producing papers. So if, if you look at our projects, most of projects do not stop at papers. We always go extra miles and you know, open source our tools and try to get people to use. And both of us had a lot of experience with uh, pushing technology into the actual products for large companies. For example, I worked at Microsoft a few years back, and then I worked on an optimizing compiler that I think is still used in production systems to optimize a lot of jobs on a daily basis. And Ravi has his technology uh, in products at uh, Netflix and Google. If you open Google's Chrome browser, you will see his technology running there. So I think having a company is always something that we're thinking of. 
So um, yeah, that's the reason why we started the company last year, and then we decided that now is the time. Then we 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 have a lot of uh, a sort of experience of of running those projects. Then we have students who graduated last year as well. That's why we formed a, a four four people team to start our venture at Brazemel. And we talk about timing there. Looks like you had great timing, right? So you launched the company in March 2022, and then the real pivotal moment for AI was in what November of 2022 when OpenAI released yeah. the consumer version. Yes, yes, there was. Uh, I think yes. So the ChatGPT came out towards the end of last year, and then there was a hype. The hype started sort of coming out early this year, 2023. But back, you know, March 2022, the time that we started the company. We actually had a lot of challenges of, of raising because of the market downturn, right? There was a market crash in May 2022, and uh, we had a lot of issues in the beginning of raising our, our seed round. Mm, got it. Makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of founders were in a similar spot there probably as well. Yeah. Yeah. Had we waited you know, a few months, I think we would have had a much better sort of situation. Are you surprised with the response to ChatGPT and how it just really seemed to almost take over the world for lack of a better description. Are you surprised with that impact it had at, at a consumer level and a business level? I'm not surprised, actually. I think it's one day AI is getting there. So, uh, but I didn't really expect that the, the day comes like so quickly. So, right. So uh, I guess this is sort of, uh, you know, if you ask a lot of people in the community, it's, it's pretty much, you know, what most of the people think about, right? Like the ChatGPT and generative AI in general, Right, because one day we all believe that AI is gonna, you know, become a major thing, right? That takes over a lot of the, you know, humans' lives, humans, humans' tasks. But we just didn't expect that the day comes so quickly. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, can you just give us a high-level overview of of what Breeze ML does? Yeah. So we're building a, a AI governance at a Breeze ML. So basically, the problem we're trying to solve here is that. AI regulations are coming our way, right? So this is something we all know. And the European Union, like EU, has been much more advanced in terms of AI legislations than the rest of the world. Uh, the EU AI Act is already there, and then they're looking to finalize the law by the end of this year, and then that's going to come into effect in the year of 2025. So basically, they allow, they give companies two years of time to get themselves prepared for the regulations and the compliance in 2025. So, and the consequence of not being compliant is actually huge, right? So we're talking about like a huge fines, something like 6% of your annual global revenue, like uncapped, which is huge for a lot of the companies. So the problem a lot of the companies are suffering from is they don't really have any tools, any guardrails that allow them to be compliant as they're working on the model development. So we're basically providing this kind of a, what we call governance by construction tools, right? So developers are using our tools on a daily basis as they are developing models and, and then transformation of the data sets. And our tool provides governance and allows compliance officers and stakeholders of the company to quickly gain insight and apply policies over the entire pipeline of your model development and the data transformation. Who's that ICP? Who's the primary user that really needs AI governance? Yeah, I think most of the companies that that have uh, anything to do with AI would actually use that because the regulations are generic, right? So, so there are some sectors, like some verticals, right, of of the industry that are already facing the regulations right now. For example, even in the U.S., I'm not talking about the EU, like even the U.S., 
the healthcare is the industry that that is facing regulations from FDA. Right, FDA has this, those, a lot of policies like GXPs that you have to be compliant with before you can actually release any models in your product. And the other example is the financial industry, like JP Morgan, those banks. The banks are facing very strict regulations and, and compliance from like SEC, for example. There are a lot of laws and regulations regarding how your model should be trained, how you should collect user data. For example, there's no way that you can introduce any kind of a bias in your loan prediction model, right? You cannot really have a model that it was trained over data with uh, general information explicitly considered, for example, because uh, otherwise your model would definitely introduce bias. So things like that are already there. But in general, I think all companies that are using AI are our potential buyers. Makes sense. And that'll be a big market because it's going to be basically everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. What are you doing to stand out and, and rise above all the noise? Because this is such a noisy space. There's just a lot of noise. There's a lot of funding and there's yeah. a lot of companies around AI in general. What are you doing to rise above all that noise? I think that's a very challenging question. Uh, I, I think what I do is I just talk to a lot of people. I had tons of conversations with people doing different things in different roles. Like I talked to data scientists. I talk to machine learning engineers. I talk to VP of engineering. I talk to compliance officers. I talk to CTOs, CEOs. I think oftentimes, once you have a lot of those conversations, and they would help you steer your direction of product development. So one of the things, for example, that a lot of people did in the past few months was, if you look at the market, a lot of companies were all in for LMs, right? Large language models, because there was a big hype and there was a lot of money in it. And I think one thing we, I believe I, we did right was as everybody was all in for LLMs, we kind of backed up. <laughs> so uh, we basically started working on the problem of AI governance because of the conversations we had with, with people. We clearly saw, you know, governance is a bigger problem in years to come. And I'm not saying that LLMs is not a big problem. It's also a big problem, just, but it's unclear how to build a massive business by building like, LM support, for example. So it, it's much easier and clearer for us to see a path towards building a, a massive business around AI governance. So I think, you know, the key is just to run a lot of conversations and you go with the flow. When it comes to the market category, is that a category that Gartner has already recognized for AI governance, or is that a category that's really up and coming and, and soon to be formed? I think AI governance, definitely, I think it's this old kind of existing market, uh, AI governance, a lot of people, like I said, you know, everybody that deals with AI has to use a governance tool sooner or later to be compliant with the regulations. That's that's already there. But the other thing is that uh, I think on the other hand, it's also emerging market because people don't know what to do yet, right? Because AI governance is a market, but people in this market don't know what to do at this point, and there are no existing tools. There are very few tools, I, I would say, very few tools out there that can help them provide the governance that need. 
because we talked to a lot of lawyers and, and, and privacy attorneys, for example, and everybody was talking about auditing AI, right? Auditing, you know, models. But in terms of concrete steps, the action items, nobody had a good idea of what to audit, right? what exactly the, the, the items to audit. So I think that's a big challenge you have to deal with. You have to be able to concretize the problem first before you talk about how to solve the problem. So I think in some sense, it's an existing market, but also it's the emerging market that people are still trying to define and develop solutions for. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Now, can you give us an idea of the, the type of growth and adoption that you're seeing today? Yeah, so we saw a lot of excitement from our conversations and that we're we're doing enterprise sales, first of all. So it's enterprise sales take much longer than, than the other type of sales. So we have a few paying customers right now. And then we had a lot of those customers that are trialing our products at this moment. And then what we're doing right now is that we're building a sales pipeline. And I hope that when the sales pipeline is built, we can see a very, very rapid growth in next year and or you know next couple of years. As I mentioned in the intro, you've raised 4.6 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this journey? Uh, fundraising is hard. <laughs> in general, I think it's very hard. And then you have to do a lot of things, right? You have to build connections. You have to assemble a team. You have to, your team have to meet a certain criteria before you can raise the fund. Yeah, I think what I, what I learned was, I learned a lot actually. <laughs> So uh, I think the most important thing is get yourself ready, right? And also raise at the right time. Even if your company doesn't need money at this point, if the money's there, you just raise, right? You don't have to wait until your uh, your money exhausts. So yeah, there is any time the money's there. Based on everything you've learned so far throughout this journey, let's imagine you were starting again from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice that you'd give to yourself? That is also a very hard question. So I think... Maybe I would tell myself to prepare better before seeing investors. Once you see investors, you can't back out, right? So, you, you know, the process gets started, then you have to just follow the process. You, you do the pitch and you do everything. So I think one thing you could do, we could have done definitely better is we can better prepare ourselves. You know, for example, one thing I should definitely do is that if I start the single, you know, once it, one more time, is that I will start paving the road a year before we see the investors, the, including, for example, assemble the team, clear out the potential IP issues, do the customer survey, and then get the MVP build and stuff like that. I think a well-prepared team has a much, much higher chance of success in terms of funding. And final question for you, Harry, let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building here? Yeah. So funding-wise, we're aiming to raise our Series A next year. So three, five years down the road, I believe that we'll become a company with several hundred people. I think that's, uh, you know, we're, our goal is to build a massive business, right? And I'm confident that will be the will be the leading platform in AI governance for both the U.S. and EU market. We definitely want to not only look at the, U, the U.S. market, but we also want to sort of explore in the EU market in general. And I believe three to five years down the road, we'll be the leading platform in AI governance for both markets. And then most of the large companies will be using our uh, our platform. So that is sort of a, my vision in the next three or five years. Amazing. I love the vision. Harry, Thank we you. are on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in that want to follow along with your journey as you build and execute on this vision, where should they go? We do have a LinkedIn. And then I actually, I, I'm, these days I'm trying to post more on LinkedIn to be more kind of socially engaged. 
And then we also have a, sort of a media blog and we start writing, medium-based blog, that we start writing blog articles. But I think LinkedIn is actually the, the way to go. Awesome. Harry, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much, Brett. All right, keep in touch. Best of luck. Yep, thank you. Take care. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 